How's everybody doing today? Good? Well, I'm going to go ahead and get right into it because I am ADD and this could take forever, all right? So we're going to go ahead and uh, jump right in and the students will tell you that sometimes this ADD will take me on ventures that they can't even hang on to, okay? So let's hope that doesn't happen. I like to call it the Holy Spirit ADD, right? Because often, sometimes, most of the time, mostly, it leads me to a point, all right? So I see the Holy Spirit just working through that and getting me to this, this point that I'm trying to make, whether it be through hoops and valleys and jokes and all kinds of stuff. But we'll get there eventually, all right? So, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. And, and we've been in a series for the past couple of weeks that, that is called Life is Good, right? We've been, we've been going through Ephesians and talking about how our life is good. And, and I'm, I'm not going to continue that Life is Good series, um, now, don't be depressed. Like, we're going to still talk about how good our life is, all right? We're going to actually be talking about a different aspect of life, all right? We're not going to be talking through Ephesians, but we're going to talk, be talking about the call on our lives to, to, to matter for the kingdom of God, to, to be something that can be used by our king in service for him. And, and all throughout Scripture, we see this call on our life to be, to be used for the purposes of him, of something that is greater than ourself. We just got through seeing that our God is greater, right? Do we believe that? Do we believe that, that our God is greater and that our lives are, are very insignificant? So what we should do is live for something that is outside of ourselves, live for something that is greater than ourselves. And that's what we're going to be kind of talking through. Just some examples, Scripture talks in Romans 12 about giving our bodies as living sacrifices. As living sacrifices. That's us actually living out our lives in sacrifice and service to our King. And I want to talk to you guys specifically about a call on our lives from Hebrews chapter 13. So you can go ahead and get there in your, your Scripture, or you can take the easy route and which is what our students do most of the time, and just read it from the screen, all right? So we're going to be talking through Hebrews chapter 13, and, and I want to kind of zero in on the specific verse, verse 7 in Hebrews 13. Let me read it for you guys. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their life, imitate their faith. Let me read it again. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider, considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. This is a pretty big call, right? This is a pretty big challenge to us. And, and you might have read Hebrews chapter 13 a hundred times, and the reality of it is you might have never zeroed in on this verse, chapter 7, because we just got through singing the song that kind of comes out of Hebrews 13, that, it, you know, God is for us. We don't fear anything. What can man do to us? Because our God is with us. Our God is for us. And a lot of times people will focus on that. And I even took a seminary class in, in over just the book of Hebrews, and, and whenever we got to this verse, our, it was, you know, obviously it's chapter 13, last chapter. Seminary is like, you know, like we, we did everything we could to get through six chapters. So last like seven chapters, he's like, all right, so uh, yeah, and this says this, and this says this, and then we've got the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, okay, and then Hebrews 13, and, blah, blah, blah. Right, and that's how our class ended. So oftentimes it's just, it's just something that we don't do because we, maybe even we get to, to Hebrews 11, we're like, man, the hall of faith. Let's talk about that. 
And that's what you see preached on a lot, is Hebrews 11. But we're going to focus in on Hebrews 13, and then this, what might be seen as an insignificant verse in, in a lot of people's minds in, in Hebrews chapter 13. But we're going to focus in on it. Let me give you some context of what's going on in, in Hebrews. We don't, we don't really know the writer of Hebrews, but, but we do, I, in my personal opinion, I think it's Paul. All right? They say, well, oh, some of the language changed, all this different stuff. But, but we're going to go with that. We're going to say Paul is writing to the Hebrews, and he's, and he's giving them in chapter 13. This is a close of his letter to them. And he's saying, he says, you know what? The reality of it is Christianity really hasn't been along. Uh, been been you know, here on earth for that long. And I want to give you guys some practical things that you can go and live out your faith. Go and live out your life. If you want to know how to lead the Christian life, then he, let me give you some practical things. And this is what we're doing in the first seven verses of, of chapter 13 is he's given us some practical application. All right? Practical application for our life. And, and in the first seven verses, he challenges us to, to love one another. He challenges us to be hospitable, to be kind to those who are in prison or afflicted, to pray, to keep your marriages pure, to not have love of money, to be content in what, we, what the Lord gives us, and to know that the Lord is with you always. He says, you know what, if you can remember these things, you're doing pretty good. If you're keeping your marriage pure, if you're, if you're not this, this money-hungry person that is, is running over everybody, because and, 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 it's not about that, it's being content in what the Lord has given you. If you pray, if you have humility, if you be kind to people that are afflicted, if you do all these things, you're doing pretty good. And then he gets to this verse and he says, oh yeah, one more thing. Remember those who led you who spoke the word of God to you and and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. Because they're they're sitting there and they're like, okay, this Christianity thing's new. I don't know how to do. And and maybe you've been there before. Maybe when you were young in your faith, you're like, I don't don't know what's going on. I don't know how to be a Christian. I don't know what we're talking about. So what did you do? You looked to those people around you. You looked looked at maybe your, your mom and dad who you knew were a Christian. Maybe you looked to, to people in the church, or, or maybe you looked at, Lord, help us, televangelist on TV or something like that. Please don't do that, all right? Don't just kind of stick to the church, all right? So, so this is what the Hebrews are doing. This is what they're being called to is saying, you know what, consider all this. Consider those people who are leading you, who are speaking the word of God to you, and imitate their faith. And if, if you can think about that person that, that was in your life, maybe those people that, that spoke the word of God to you, that led you. We usually refer to them as mentors, right? We usually refer to them as people who mentored us in, in the, the Christian walk. And I, I can remember just distinct moments in my life. And, 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 and I remember people like Kevin Bowes, who was this, this, the one speaker last year who took time for me, and every Tuesday and Wednesday, never failed, for two hours, every Tuesday and Wednesday, we spent going through a Bible study for about an hour, or, and, and going through a book, and then we went to lunch, and we just hung out. And often that led to us going to ball games together, often that led to us playing video games in his office, I mean, not in his office, of course, not on church time, uh, but it led to those things outside of, of the faith that... that kind of built into my life. And, and the, the thing that I cherish the most about Kevin is that he took time for me, two hours 
on Tuesday and two hours on Wednesday, he took time to pour into my life. And I remember someone like Todd Carter, who was, he's, he wasn't really a, a pastor or anything like that. He was just a, a dad in the, in the youth ministry that, that kind of took me under his wing. He saw that I was going through a, through a hard time as uh, I went through a breakup. Yeah, imagine that. And he was like, dude, let's, let's talk about it, you know, because real men don't cry, right? You know, and I'm like, good job, man, they don't cry. You know, like, I mean, so, so he saw that and he said, you know what? Like, let's, let's pray together. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's kind of, you know, come over on, Tuesday, or, or on Thursday mornings before school. I was a freshman at the time. And, and he lived like two blocks away from my house. And so every Tuesday or Thursday morning, I would, I would walk over to his house two blocks and he would pour into me. And, and his wife would cook me breakfast. And then she would leave the house and say, all right, y'all have a good time. And he would sit there and he would pray for me. And he just spent time with me. And I remember someone like Mike White, who, <laughs> who gave me my very first Wednesday night to speak at. All right. And in front of my peers, I was a sophomore in high school scared to death and he's like man i believe in you i i think you're ready to 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 bring the word of god to your peers and i was like i don't i don't think you're right <laughs> i'm not ready <laughs> and and he was like man I, I do i feel like you're ready and he empowered me and pushed me and, and had confidence in me to go and speak and i'll tell you the the distinct the distinct thing that came out of all three of those relationships in my life the, the thing that is, is even killed through all of it is, is that these people took time for me. Took time to speak into my life, to, to entrust me, to pray with me. It took time to, to practice some of the things that were going on in the first few verses of Hebrews 13. And, and now I can say, now I remember those guys who led me, who, who spoke the word of God in me. And I, I know, you know what, I can, I can imitate my life and faith after them, by mentors. And, and I, I want you guys to just be thinking about that as we're going through t- today, as we're kind of going on this journey, who were those people who took time for you? Who were those people that, that, that spoke the word of God into you? Who, were, who do you consider your mentors? I have a team of, of sh- we call them the shepherd team, our small group leaders in student ministry. And this is the thing that I entrust and empower them to. It's to just take time for the students in, in our ministry to, to, to really get down to the degree and say, you know what, take all the junk that's happened in your life and let's just have an hour, an hour and a half to focus in on God's word and to, and to truly share life with one another. The cool thing about those three men in my life is that I see things creep up in, in, in my life, in my heart, in my ministry that directly comes from them. And it's almost like their faith DNA was kind of transferred over to me, and now it is fleshed out in the way I do ministry and the way I do life and the way even that I love my own wife. It's fleshed out because I imitated my life after these men. Does that mean that they were perfect? No. And that was one of the cool things about them, is they never claimed to be perfect. They said, man, I want to just take time and and let's talk about God, who is so much better than, than me. So our, their faith DNA is, 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 is embedded in who I am. So as we kind of read this verse and look at this, we, we see that this is an important call for us to, to, to be leading, to be speaking, to, to remember and, and 
modeling, be modeling our life after those who spoke the word of God, who led us. And, and this is, I'll tell you guys, this is the, I mean, except for God's call on my life, but this is one of the biggest reasons that I am in student ministry today. Because I remember how important those men were in my life. And I said, I made a, a vow to myself. I said, you know what? I want to keep that going. And I want to be that person to just a few students or to, to students in general. I want to be someone who pours into their life, who, who gives my life in service to them. And, and that's why I'm in ministry. That's why I'm in student ministry. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and the funny thing about student ministry is, is, is uh, sometimes it's, it's not really modeled after those things, right? <laughs> Uh, I, I, I was reading, I'm reading a book right now um, called Contemplative Youth Ministry by Mark Iaconelli. All right, Iaconelli is fun to say, so I'll say it again, Iaconelli. All right, and this guy is, he, he kind of runs youth specialties. It's a, and, and you might see that title and you're like, Contemplative Youth Ministries. Do, do youth ministers really contemplate anything, right? Do they, I mean, do they really take time? And you, you'll know when I'm doing this in my office if you walk by and I'm like, like this, because it's hard sometimes to contemplate things, right? I don't know if any of you have that problem, but I do, all right? So, so it's hard for me to contemplate, but, but to really, he, he writes this book, and he, he talks about student ministry from a context of, of that oftentimes student ministries are born out of anxiety, out of anxieties. And there's two different levels of these anxieties. And, and on one side, it's the adult anxiety, Right? Now, how many of you guys have ever been intimidated, just like actually feared for your life sometimes whenever you see a pack of teenagers playing? And then maybe they have a skateboard, maybe they're dressed in all black, maybe they're, I, I don't know what it is, but you see a pack of teenagers and all of a sudden you get defensive, like you're like bowing up and stuff, like, oh my gosh, what's about to happen? They're walking towards me, what's going on? And they're like, hey, you have the time? And you're like, Phew. I just wanted to know the time. Good. I mean, it's, reality of it is, sometimes parents, adults, whatever, are scared by teenagers. And I don't know what it is. I mean, sometimes teenagers scare me. I'm like, who are you talking to me right now? But, but I think, it, it, man, they're, they're full of life and energy, right? They're full of this, this zest for life that, that I mean, often it tell, you know, makes them like not sit still, you know? And they're like, you're like, you're making me nervous. Would you just slow down, Right? And, and, and I don't know what it is, but sometimes teenagers just scare us. And this anxiety kind of breathes out like this. Okay, we've got to do something with them. We've got to barricade them in a room, make it brick, reinforce it with steel walls. We've got to put them in a room so we can have our safety back of our church, right? And this sometimes is what, what student ministries are born out of, is this, this call, like, we've got to do something about this. And, and, and students are like, okay, let's, let's, let's keep them safe. Let's keep us safe. Let's keep them safe and, and teach them some good morals, teach them some structure. We're going to teach them some good things. And, and, and that's what we maybe student, some student ministries are born out of. The other end of the spectrum is anxieties from students or teenagers. And as you probably know, teenagers, as I just said, are, they can't sit still. They're full of energy. This is one of the things that I, I love working with teenagers because, I mean, if I'm ever down or drained, like, they come in a room and they're like, hey, yeah, let's, uh, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, where did you just come from? I want some of that, you know? And they give me life, man. They, they pour that into me. But, but in that, 
They're not always, you know, on one point or they're not on one, you know, mind frame. They kind of are all over the place, right? And, and, and that, that, that life, that, that energy sometimes says, you know what? I look at maybe the adults in our church. I, maybe, I look at our church in general and, and I want to keep my life. I want to keep my energy because the people I'm looking at, and tell, I'm telling you this is from a student's perspective, but the people I'm looking at are stressed. They're busy. I mean, they don't have friendships like I do. A lot of times students will look at that and say, man, I want to hang on to every ounce of life and energy that I have. So oftentimes they come to church just ready to talk with their friends, hang out, play a fun game, check out the message, and then go home. That's sometimes what student ministries are born out of. And youth ministers respond to each of these, okay? They respond. Because on this side, they're responding to the parents. They're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a good message. We're going to keep them in here. We're going to keep them safe, all this different stuff. And then they respond over here, okay, but these, these students can't stop. They're full of energy. We need to give them something like, I don't know, a lock-in or a uh, couch-a-rama or whatever. And I, I'm guilty of both of these things, of responding to these anxieties. But the reality of it is we need to get back to a balance of these two, a balance, a marrying of these two. But I want to talk about these, uh, these teenage anxieties because this is a really, I mean, this is a real thing in, in their minds, their perspectives. They see adults and they, they see lives of stress. They see lives of busyness. They, they see these lives that are, I mean, that they, they honestly don't want any part of. And you see this flash, fleshed out in so many ways of teenagers hanging on to maybe their close friendships. They're, they, they see, you see teenagers not wanting to grow up. It's, I call it the, the Toys R Us kid, you know, effect. You know, I don't want to grow up. I want to be a Toys R Us kid, right? So, so you see this effect on there, and they're like, I don't, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to go into that. And even if it's skewed, even if it's not right, they see that, and they don't want to grow up. They, they want to stay not a Toys R Us kid, but they want to stay a teenager, right? Let me, let me just show you some, some statistics on adolescence. And I'm going to throw this up there. This is kind of normal human development. This is, uh, this is kind of what it's, it's kind of formed out of. And, and this is basic psychology, human development stages. Infancy is a life stage that is birth to, to 18 months. Early childhood, 18 months to three years old. Play age, and some could go to later childhood, but three years to six years, school age, six years to 12 years, and then adolescence is what we're going to be talking about, is 12 years to 18 years. And you see by this slide that young adult is 18 to 35. So some of you 34-year-olds are like, yeah, young adult, right? So you still got it, all right? But this is what's happening. There's, a, there's been a shift in adolescence, and adolescence is, is, is lasting longer and longer in our society. And we see this prior to 1970, it was what we just read, ages eight, 12 to 18. 1970, 2001, it shifted to 11 to 22. Now 11 years in there, and 2001 to 2010, ages 11 to 25 years old is still considered adolescence. This is 1970 significant, as you see there, from the push for education. You know, remember you could, like, not even finish high school, and now you're a multi-billionaire because you started a company, all right? 
But now, it's, to even get your foot in those doors, you've got to go and get your bachelor's, get your master's, and sometimes, you know, Ph.D. or whatever. And, and there's this call, there's this push for higher education. So that's why 1970 is significant. This is another statistic. Median age for marriage in 1960, 19.5, 19 and a half years old. 1980, 23 years old. In 2007, it was 26 and a half years old was the median age for marriage in America. Okay? Another one. Single males, percentage of single males living at home. And this is single males under 25. I didn't put that in there. But 1970, less than one-eighth or 11%. 2000, one-fifth or 20%. In 2007, it was all the way up to one-fourth or 25% of single males under the age of 25 living at home. Some of you parents are crying right now. Why? Why will they stay here? And, and guys, it's, I mean, reality is it's only getting worse. I mean, literally, Obama just passed that, a health care plan that actually allows you to claim your child as a dependent on your health care until they're 26 years old. So through 25, you can actually claim your child. Some of, you ch- some of the kids are like, yes, I don't have to pay for health insurance until then, right? No, <laughs> it's not good. These are, these are, I mean, this is crazy. And with the economic crisis, it's only getting worse. Adole- I mean, adolescence is lasting longer and longer. And luckily, I can speak about this with wisdom of a day, because yesterday I turned 26. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm an adult now, so, so yeah. Um, and, I mean, so it's, I, I can speak of actual wisdom on this, this thing. But, I mean, this isn't across the board, guys. This isn't something that all 25-year-olds, don't fear, because all 25-year-olds will not be staying at home, you know. For some people, normal people, um, we, you know, I, I graduated college when I was 21. I had my master's when I was 24 and got married, I guess, two months later after that. So it's not everybody, right? <laughs> so so you, parents, you can kind of maybe let your guard down a little bit. But, I mean, it's scary, guys. It's scary to think that adolescence is lasting this long. And, and even though these statistics say, you know, all this stuff, I really do believe it's because in my humble opinion, that teenagers are looking at the adult life. They're looking at what is to come, and they're like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Because all adults tell me, all adults show me is, is that, that life is about stress and busyness and going from one task to the other and, 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 and having a lack of depth in our relationships. And... and hear me on this, that I am not speaking directly to anybody, and I'm not putting everybody in a box. I realize that some of you guys are, are great models and mentors for our, for our students and for children and your children. But students still see this life that is full of busyness and stress and all these different things. And it's, it's not the way that we should be going. In John 10.10 10, we see that, that the enemy, this is Jesus talking, he says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, but I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. To give it to you in fullness. I've done that. 
And what happens is, is often in, in, in these two scenarios where you have one life that is being stolen from you or one life that is being lived in abundance, the enemy often wins. He often wins. He steals you of that joy from life. He steals uh, from you that, that zest, that, that completeness, that fullness. And this is, I mean, we, we choose to let this happen. We choose. And, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, okay, I don't choose this. I don't choose to be stressed. And I, I know, I know where you're coming from because often stress just kind of overtakes us. That's kind of one of the, the markings of stress. But I'll tell you, and I'm guilty of this too. I, after, sometimes after a hard day, a hard day where I, I feel like just down and I'm stressed out, I come home to my wife who is lovely and beautiful, and I should be instantly happy to see her. I should be instantly just, oh, man, nothing else matters because you are here and I love you with all my heart. But instead, I choose to let the stress of the day control my emotions, my feelings, my action towards her. Now let stress control me in that moment, and I say something with a sharp tongue or I take it out on her. This is the reality of, of this is probably your playing scenarios in your mind where you've done this. And I, I chose to let that happen. I chose to look at my wife and say, instead of being released from all this and, and just being in love with you and, and just, just serving you and loving you, I, I'm choosing to let the stress control how I treat you right now. That's just the reality of, of, of what our lives are about, right? We let stress and busyness and all the junk in our lives control who we are and how we act to other people. And guys, let me tell you that this is exactly what Satan wants. This is playing into his plan perfectly because this life is all about just being stolen of, of, of life, of zest, of everything that is made complete in us. Because here's Christ saying, you know what? I want to give you life and I want to give it to you abundantly. I want you to be filled with the joy and the love of who I am and what I did for you. I want you to live in that. But we don't. So, I mean, what do we have? I mean, what is it that gives us abundance of life? What is it that, you know, that, that gives us that zeal, that, that zest for life? And we've been in Ephesians chapter 1, right? We've been in there. And, and I, I just want to just, this is pure fun, but I want to give you some context of what we've been talking about in Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to focus in on 7 through, verses 7 through 14, and you don't have to turn there. I just want to read off some of the things that, that, that are in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. Seven verses. This is what we have. This is what's been promised to us. This is what we've already attained. We have grace. We have redemption. Forgiveness of sin, we have wisdom, we have insight into the mysteries of God, we have an inheritance, we have purpose, we have hope, we have the gospel, we have truth, we have salvation, and we have actually been sealed by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Those are all the things in seven verses in Scripture that, that we are reminded of that we have. Grace, redemption, hope, truth, salvation. All of those things are poured into us. It's already ours. We have already attained it. So, so why? 
Why do we let stress control us? Why do we let the enemy come in and, and control our lives with all the junk that happens? Why can't we cling to the things of God, of hope, of salvation, of truth? I'll tell you, looking back to Hebrews 13, this is exactly what the enemy wants. Because he sees this pattern of someone remembering those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. And whenever Satan can say, you know what? (laughs) I've made their way of life full of stress. I've made their way of life be marked with busyness and lack of depth all these different things. I have made them do that. So now what's modeled, what people are imitating, is a faith full of stress, busyness, lack of depth. This is exactly what Satan wants. Because the the last thing that he wants is that everyone would be on fire for God and living for him and, and seeing this imitation of someone who is on fire for God and living for him. Because that just is a cycle. It's a cycle because as we remember those who led us, who spoke the word of God to us, we start imitating that. Their faith DNA is in us. And then all of a sudden this person younger than us is looking at us. And now they're imitating that faith DNA. They're imitating that life full of joy and abundance. This is exactly what Satan doesn't want to happen in our lives. He doesn't want us to be live in that fullness, but he wants us to be st- he wants our lives to be stolen right from, out from under us. I think that is so huge, guys, that, that considering the outcome of their way of life, their way of life, it doesn't refer back to the word of God that they spoke. It doesn't refer back to how they led. It refers to the way of life, how they live the day-to-day, how they live. And considering that, imitate it. Because one thing that's marked with me is, that's been passed down from my mentors is is spending time with God. I knew that that was a a reality of what they did. They spent time in prayer and, and in God's word. So I know that if I'm supposed to imitate that, then I need to spend time in prayer and God's word. If if our lives are being, if our the imitation is is what we just spoke about, and then you go and live somewhere else, it's, it's not going to connect. We need to realize that, that Satan wants nothing more than this cycle to stop. All right, and, and I want you guys to, to think through, like, how maybe how you spend your time, how you spend your life, how, how you are living your life personally, as I have, through this message, been challenged of how I live my life. Because here I am, a professional, Definitely an adult, as I found out yesterday that I was now. But as I'm a professional, my job is about ministering to students. It's, it's what, I, what I've, I'm here on staff to do. And I often look at my life and I realize that I'm pretty selfish with it, my time. Pretty selfish with the things that I do sometimes. Me and my wife will be sitting on the couch. It's 1030 at night and the phone will ring and it's a student and I'm like, put the phone back down. I'm sometimes pretty selfish with with my life and my time. So as we go through this, be be evaluating what what your life is about. And and guys, you might be hearing this and saying, well, he's talking about students. 
he's talking about children. He's talking about younger people. And I just don't do younger people, right? This is not who I'm about. I That's for the those people, all right? I'm over here. I'm all about Lazy Boy and coffee and professionals, right? That's, that's what I'm about. You can go and do that student and children thing, all right? You can, you can do, go do that. And this is a call on all of our lives. This doesn't say, hey, pastors and volunteers that are working in student ministry and children's ministry, lead those people, speak the word of God to them. No, this is, this is everybody in this church. I, I want to refer to Proverbs 22, verse 6, and it says, says that train a child in the way that they should go. And even when they grow old, they will not depart from it. And I want, I want us to notice something very clear, that it does not say, parents, train a child in the way it should go. Nor does it say, train your child in a way that it should go. It just says, train a child in the way that it should go. It's not talking to anybody in, in particular. Often that, that verse gets put in this bubble of how to parent your child, right? As you probably all know this, that, you, hey, well, I'm going to, this is my life verse as a parent. I'm going to train them in the way they should go. But, man, this is talking to everybody. There's an old African proverb. Um, realize that this is an African proverb, not something that Hillary Clinton said, all right? African proverb, all right? It takes a village to, to raise a child. It takes a village to raise a child. Man, there's, there's nothing more impactful in my life than that. And I see that oh, it breaks my heart because I see America so far removed from this concept. That this, this village mentality of it takes a village to raise a child. Because often what happens, and we're, we're all guilty of it, but as, as parents, we drop our, our kids off at school. Then when it's time to go up, we go sit in this really long, monotonous line of cars. Not getting out, not speaking to anybody, not doing anything, sitting in a line of cars. Then we pick up our kid, we finally go home, we open the garage door, pull our car in, close the garage door behind us, go into our houses and live our lives. Occasionally, we'll get out for church and go to the church thing, or we'll even venture out to our backyard and grill some burgers behind our six-foot privacy fences, Right? There's, our, our culture is so far removed to this it takes a village to raise a child concept. We're, we're all about what, what we're doing, what, what our time is about, what our family is. And if we get back to this train a child in the way that it should go, we get back to this it takes a village to raise a child concept, I could even, I could even venture to say this, that it takes a church to raise a child takes a church. Because I can't think of anything greater than a body of believers who love the Lord coming around the children and students in our church and saying, you know what? Let's do this together. I want to help you. I want to speak the word of God. I want to model for you a life and a faith that you can take with you and you can go and live. And you can do that for others. You can continue this cycle Man, if we could be a church that is about that, if we could be a church that comes around the younger generations, that comes around the students and the children, how powerful would that be? That this generation, instead of putting them in a box or a brick room, that they actually got modeled things that, that, that shows them how to live their life outside of the church. 
And you still, you might be hearing this and saying, this has nothing to do with me. And without sounding harsh, it does. It does. It has everything to do with you because we are all called to be in this family, this body together. How cool would it be is if a student, 20 years down the road, heard this very same message. And whenever I asked or whenever they heard to think about those who led them, who, who, who their, their mentors were in life, that they could write down 10 names from Grace Point Church that impacted their life in that way. That they could, they could think through 10 people that took the time for them. And, and maybe it was just a conversation in the coffee shop. Instead of walking on by them, t- stopped and said, and how are you? That's how my relationship with Todd Carter started. Going through a breakup, not crying for sure, because I'm a man, right? And, and he said, man, how are you? What's going on? That's how my relationship with this man, who now I call a mentor, started. What if we as parents were to have a new outlook on, on the way we live our lives? And be able to entrust to them, to be able to pour in to our kids and model a life that is worth imitating. How cool would that be? I'm so thankful for my parents because they trusted me. Because they trusted me and were real with me. They were real. And even if I saw stress, they would tell me. I had a crappy day at work. It was so refreshing to have parents that trusted me with that and said, you know what? I want you to go and, and I support you in, in, in whatever you do, but just know that always I love you. I love you. Man, how, how cool would our church be? How amazing and in line with Scripture would our church be if we caught on to this, this mentality that, that our life, our life, matters and it's 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 been called it's been entrusted into god to say you know what i want you to be the one that the younger generations imitate i want you to be the one that leads people and generations to come into a way of life that is worthy of who i am that's far greater than you and and guys i want to end this time and I want, it's going to be a little bit different, and for some, it might be even awkward, like on the edge of awkward, but I, I want to end this time in a, in a different way, and we're not going to bring the band back up, we're not going to, we're not going to have a, a, a time where we stand up and sing, but actually want us to get into a posture of prayer and reflectiveness. And I've left your, the back of your bulletins blank for a reason. Not just because I'm lazy, but for a reason. Because this time is going to be yours. And I want you to work through a, a few things. So I want you to work through, number one, writing down who those mentors were in your life. Who they were. And the reality of it is, guys, you might not have that. And, I mean, if anything, that should make this message all the more meaningful that you want that for somebody else. 
So I want you to write down who were the mentors in your life, who were those who spoke the word of God to you, who led you, who took time for you. And then I want you to, under that, why? Why are they your mentors? Why do you call them? What made them so special that you remember them even today? Because I guarantee you it won't be because they had you read Leviticus. All right? I mean, it probably won't be that they took you through Bible drills. All right? It won't be about that. It will be about the time and the influence that they have. So I want you to do that. And then right below that, this is the last thing, and I want you to, to just kind of mark out how your life can be about this, how you could give more of your life and, and, and more of your time and, and sacrifice for the people in this church. What does this look like practically lived out in, in who you are?